Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Seth Early on the Mentors That Make a Difference segment. Seth is an expert with 20 plus years of experience in knowledge strategy, data, and information architecture, search-based applications, and information findability solutions. Seth has worked with a diverse roster of Fortune 1000 companies, helping them to achieve higher levels of operating performance by making information more findable, usable, and valuable through integrated enterprise architectures, supporting analytics, e-commerce, and the customer experience applications. Seth is a sought after speaker, writer, and influencer. He is the author of the AI Powered Enterprise from Lifetree Media, which was released in April of 2020. In 2021, the book received the Axiom Business Book Silver Medal in the Artificial Intelligence Robotics Algorithms category. His writing has appeared in IT Professional Magazine from the IEEE, where, as a former editor, he wrote a regular column on data analytics and information access issues and trends. He has also contributed to the Harvard Business Review, CMS Wire, CEO World, Tech Target, E-Commerce Times, and Analytics Magazine, Journal of Applied Mar Marketing Analytics, and he co-authored Practical Knowledge Management from IBM Press. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to it. Great. Well, let's get started. So Seth, I'm so excited to have you on our Mentors That Make a Difference segment of the show. So thank you so much for being an ally for women in technology. Tell us more about you. Sure. So I am a founder and CEO of a professional services uh, company called Early Information Science. Uh, we've been in business for about 25 years. And uh, throughout that time, we've always uh, worked in the information management, information architecture space. Uh, our catchphrase is we make information more usable, more findable, and more valuable. And uh, we work with a lot of uh, Fortune 1000 companies and uh, those types of initiatives. Very nice. Information is so valuable right now, and there is so much information out there, right? I mean, everything, even in our homes, from um, our refrigerators sometimes to our doorbells has information and data. So data is so critical, but using it correctly is so important, right? That's true. And, you know, there, there's a lot of people complain about information overload, and mm -hmm. I like to also say it's filter failure, Right. Mm -hmm. In other words, we're not filtering it. We, we get overloaded because we're not necessarily filtering it in a way that uh, makes it usable and makes it easy to find stuff. And, you know, when you go to a website and you're overwhelmed with choices, where do you, what do you do? You know, you go to another site that has a little mm -hmm. bit better way of organizing that information and, and helps you get to your answer faster. So, you know, part of it is just saying what's the right information uh, for someone uh, given the task that they, that is at hand and given their objective. And so if you look at information across the information ecosystem uh, from that perspective, you can make it a lot easier for people to find what they need when they need it. But you're right. It's, it's just, uh, you know, from social media and all the different applications that we have, you know, it's hard to find stuff even on your phone. <laughs> these it days. really is. And there's so many ways of communicating that I have to look at, you know, email. I have three different email addresses I have to look at. I have to look at Teams. I have to look at WhatsApp. I have to look at... Right. So it gets right. exhausting. It really does. 
Yeah, it is. It's a challenge. And with all that fragmentation of channels and information sources, it's just it's not going to get easier. You know, people try to add, you know, cognitive AI and chatbots to this, and they think that's going to solve the problem. But those systems, those tools are only as good as the information that they are trying mm -hmm. to access. Right. Mm -hmm. I like to say chatbots are a channel. They're a channel to content and knowledge and information, and you really need to have it well organized in, or in order for those systems to work. That's so true. And, you know, knowing what data is meaningful and then acting on it and executing on it is so critical for business today. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the issue is what information do you need for what process? And a lot of uh, executives have been burned by information management pro uh, projects that don't deliver the results. Like, mm -hmm. There's lots of digital transformations going on. And, you know, they spend a lot of money on these things or people are investing in artificial intelligence. And the challenge is where do you get your bang, bang for the buck, right? And how mm -hmm. do you justify ROI? And there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and noise and nonsense in the marketplace. So it really does make it very difficult for business leaders to, to make those decisions and correctly allocate their limited resources to, to get value for the business. And I'm guessing your company helps them do that, correct? That would be true. Yep, yep, <laughs> that's that's right. great. That's yeah, great. We work we in the yeah, we work in the area of, of making the information easier to consume and to manage. And uh, we structure that information correctly, whether it's knowledge and content or customer information or product data, product catalogs, e-commerce sites, marketing uh, uh, technologies, marketing uh, campaign management, all of those different types of systems all rely on kind of a foundation of what we call information architecture, which is really the 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 structure for that information, right? Just, you know, and you need an architect to help with that. Just like mm -hmm. if you were building a house, you wouldn't just start, you know, digging holes and pouring foundations, right? You would, you would hire an architect or you'd get a design and then you would execute from that. And it's the same thing with information. When we build our information house, we need to design it based on our needs and based on uh, our requirements. So very analogous in, in terms of, you know, how we look at the physical world, we kind of need to think about some of the same metaphors in the information world. I love that analogy because that makes so much sense. You don't just take the data and just look at it. You have to have that architect design the flow of the data, right. where it's coming from, what, what sources are important to you, and then start filtering it through those. So that's great. That's yeah, that's, that's great. great. That's exactly right. Yeah, you can't just point your AI to it or just Im import it into some algorithm and, mm -hmm. and magic happens. You have to be very intentional about it. Right. No, that's great. So we really need your types of services today for organizations. So, you know, this podcast is focused on bridging the employment, pay mm -hmm. and culture gap for women in technology. What are you seeing in the industry today? Well, it's interesting. You know, I have limited visibility into what's going on in uh, many organizations in our mm -hmm. in terms of our clients, but I am seeing a lot of women in leadership roles uh, in terms of the projects that we are involved in. So, you know, we we many times will have uh, <clears throat> women who are, uh, you know, running these projects, managing these projects, sponsoring these projects, you know, at the executive leadership level, and so. You know, we've seen a lot of, um, of diversity in terms of our mm -hmm. client base, whereas maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and I do have that long time horizon, mm -hmm. you would it would mostly be the, you know, 
the, the white male <laughs> cohort, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I think there's a lot more diversity these days, uh, at least in what I'm seeing in our Fortune 1000 customers. Uh, in terms of, you know, our organization, we have a number of, of women who are, you know, our, our director of uh, uh, solution architecture is is a woman who, you know, Chantel, she's wonderful. Uh, mm -hmm. We have uh, female client partners. We have uh, project leaders and, and analysts. We actually have, you know, I didn't think about the ratio, but it's probably, I think we might have more women than men. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we like that. <laughs> yeah. So, no, that's so great. I, I think you're seeing some trend, some longer term trends that, that do uh, have a little bit more, um, a little bit more representation these days than perhaps in prior years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's getting better, but we still have a long way to go. And I'm so proud to see that your organization is really making leaps and bounds and making sure that, you know, women are as part of your uh, leadership teams. And because, you know, it's so important and there's studies that show that, you know, women manage and lead differently than men yeah. with yeah. more collaboration, more empathy, those types of things. So bringing that to your organization is so important. And also, you know, your customers are diverse. So you want right. a diverse workforce as well. That's right. Absolutely. Yes, we absolutely want that diversity in our uh, environment and it 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 is a way of um, getting those additional points of view and perspectives uh, mm -hmm. and it's also a, a way to to relate to the customers themselves right and that's right. and yeah so i think that that's certainly you know we've never really thought of it as oh we need to have more women or few whatever but we've skills and knowledge. yeah and that's exactly what you have to do i do the same mm -hmm. thing i don't hire more women or men mm -hmm. or you know i don't right. even think about it it's a person who's skilled for the position and right. that's that's the most important thing and that's why you know i'm very focused because i'm in the training industry focused on skilling more women in technology so that mm -hmm. now they do take more leadership roles so that they have the skills when they come to the table you know right. so really important Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, having those opportunities, those opportunities are much broader than they used to be. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, many times people would think that, oh, you know, I, I'm especially, especially women making career uh, changes and, and wanting to try to get into technology, they might think, you know, I, I don't have the training or I don't have the undergraduate degree or I don't, you know, have computer science or, or whatever. But, you know, so much of it is based on uh, understanding processes and understanding business objectives and being able to communicate and being able to, you know, articulate what the needs are and understand what those uh, tools can do at a higher level, not at a, you know, detail in the weeds, you know, uh, coding level necessarily, but, but at a level of how do people work with these systems and what process does it enable? And, you know, what are the capabilities that we're bringing to the business? And certainly, you know, that means that it's a lot less of an onerous barrier to entry when you mm -hmm. think about uh, technology today, right? It used to be you had to code so much more. And these days it's configuration. And mm -hmm. really the the hard work of, of coding is many times under the covers, but the harder or more important work is about that analysis and that understanding the process and what the tools are actually going to do for the business. And then being able to communicate uh, between different stakeholder groups. And again, having good communication skills, good collaboration uh, abilities and, and having more of that about sharing or a little bit 
you know, more of an introvert or someone who doesn't have that, you know, tendency to kind of step in and and, and interpersonal relationship uh, focus is really, I think, what's so critical these days in technology initiatives. So true. And I'm so glad you mentioned about the coding because we always say in our show, and many, many women have said this as well, is that IT or technology is not only about coding. There are so many jobs and job roles that are IT related that have nothing to do with coding. So you're so correct about, you know, now we're going to low code and no code, you know. So it is really behind the scenes more. So that's good. Yeah, Yeah, we are, you know, obviously in certain places we're doing really well. Others, we need a lot of work still. So how can an ally support us? What are your thoughts? So when I think about, um, you know, supporting women in any of these uh, initiatives or environments, part of it is making sure their voices are heard. Mm -hmm. So, you know, enabling that space, because sometimes, you know, you get into these meetings and these conversations and these requirement sessions and you know, business analysis sessions and you get, you know, the the most senior level person uh, taking up all the space, right? Taking up all the air in the room. And, mm-hmm. and many mm-hmm. times other voices get drowned out. And, you know, if 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 someone is a little bit um, reticent about sharing or a little bit, you know, interrupt the, the conversation when, mm-hmm. you, when you actually have to do that, sometimes you have to stop people when when they are going on and on. Uh, and and it's it's helping that happen. It's facilitating that. Many times I'll be in a meeting, and if if I hear that, you know, if I observe that someone's voice isn't being heard, I, I love to watch people's faces on Zoom because you can see the body language, right? Mm-hmm, you can see mm-hmm. when people want to say something, you know, they may not be raising their hand, but you can tell that they have something to add. And it's calling on those people or mm-hmm. giving them the space and saying, Hey, you know, I haven't he- heard from Jill. Jill, did you want to? Did you have something you wanted to add to this? So, part of it is really just enabling the space, right? Providing room to be heard in those situations. Um, I think it's also being, you know, open-minded about, you know, the capabilities that different people bring to the table, uh-huh. and uh-huh. making sure that you, you know, you understand the position that people are in and what their objectives are. So, part of it is empathy. Part of it is good communication skills. Part of it is, you know, having an open mind and really kind of recognizing. I think a big problem is that, you know, people don't believe there's a problem. You know what I mean? Or a lot of people don't believe there's a problem. You know, m- many people do believe there's a problem, but but in certain situations, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the the uh, old white guys networks, you know, are saying, mm-hmm. yeah, what problem? What are you talking about? You know, so so it's right. being aware that there are these issues and, you know, shining a light on them and, and not being afraid to, you know, to uh, identify when there's some type of a gap, whether it's, you know, a pay gap or a, a voice at the table or seat at the table. But but recognizing that um, that these things need attention, right, and that's and being great. open-minded to the to the change that needs to happen. Yeah, that's so true. And you hit on some really really important things. You know, to give them a voice at the table because other views and other ideas can be very beneficial. When one person is just taking over the meeting, or hmm. two or three people that they've always ran the meeting and they have their ideas, it's always their own ideas. So having more voices at the table gives you um, other views, other perspectives. It also creates an inclusive environment, which is really, really important. And I think, like you said, 
some people don't even know it's a problem, so they don't have that awareness. And it is very important to have that awareness. I know I was talking to a bunch of guys um, at a New York meeting um, a few months ago, and they were like, you know, we don't have time for this. This mm. We just have to keep mm. going. We right. run very fast. And I'm like, yes, but you have to make time. People right. are important. People mm. are the relationships you build is going to be your future, you know? And mm-hmm. so we have to take time. We're all busy. And I know, you know, you run, you know, a mile a minute in New York, but right, right. Um, it happens everywhere, you know? So yeah. it is really important. So great, great points. Thank you for that. Thank you. So I know you, you're the expert in the AI area. So mm-hmm. tell us how AI is dr- driving, driving success without creating headaches for organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, everything comes with headaches. Yes. (laughs) You know, especially technology deployments. And, you know, what's interesting about how AI has evolved, and I do consider it an evolution, is, you know, it's been around for a long time. You know, the Uh the tools and the technologies and the algorithms have really been, you know, in, in development for decades. And, you know, search, for example, has always leveraged machine learning algorithms to do clustering mm-hmm. and and uh, identification of entities and, you know, understanding how documents are related and doing the semantic analysis. That all has been machine learning and it's happened for decades, right? Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, there's a lot of AI that's, that's inherent in applications that we don't even think about. Uh, uh-huh. For example, word processing was considered one of the first uh, applications of artificial intelligence, uh-huh. <laughs> because it took uh, the expertise of a human, of a of a skilled typesetter, and it embedded that uh, expertise into a program. And you don't really think about it, right? You don't say, "Oh, I'm going to use my AI to create this document." Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. You just use Word. And and people used to say that you know, no AI worked by AI by definition doesn't work. As soon as it works, we call it something else, right? That was the <laughs> old days. That was you know back in the you know. Uh, the turn of the uh, uh, 2000s. And, and But nowadays, everything is AI. You know, every startup has AI. Every vendor has AI, 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 everything. And I say the first thing to think about AI is the first thing to consider around AI is to forget AI right? and right. focus on the business problem. And so, you know, when you look at um, what you're trying to accomplish in a business, you're, 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 you have lots of different processes that can be made more efficient. And it's not that you're going to take a human out of the the equation because you always need that judgment and that creativity and that problem solving and that expertise, but you can make humans more uh, efficient and more productive. And, you know, AI is a tool that serves people, right? And and again, you're not taking an entire process end to end and and handing it over to an AI, you're taking pieces of that process and looking for those areas where you can have an impact on the productivity and the efficiency of that process. So, you know, there may be manual steps. There's also opportunities to do things that humans can't do because you just can't look at all that data. So, you know, analyzing hundreds of thousands or or, or millions of transactions for anomalies, for fraud patterns, for, you know, customers that are going to defect or, or churn, right? I mean, those are things that the, that, the, that the technology is very good at because it can deal with massive amounts of information. But but really, when you start thinking about what AI is doing, you know, part of it is making information easier to use. So people talk about cognitive AI, and that has a little, it's a bit of a misnomer because cognition does not happen in these tools, right? They are not thinking, they're not 
aware. They're not sentient. There's no cognition happening. But what it does is it reduces the cognitive load on the human, right? Making it easier to find information. So when you personalize a website, you might use AI technologies or machine learning algorithms behind the scenes. But what the person sees is they see, oh, these are the products I need. And oh, here's some related products. And oh, I need these accessories. And oh, geez, here's another addition to this. And oh, this is very helpful. And oh, here's the documentation I need to do the installation or to troubleshoot or whatever. What you're doing is you're surfacing that information so that is easier on human cognition, right? You're facilitating mm -hmm. human cognition. And then we talk about things like chatbots and virtual assistants. And again, those are simply mechanisms to get to information, right? And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make that information consumable by these types of technologies, put it in the right format and structure, and then doing the process analysis to kind of enable it. So I think that's gonna be a huge area of opportunity for business analysts and you know robot trainers, right? To be able to train the technology to be able to handle human uh, requests. Wow, that's so important and so well said because, you know, a lot of people think, oh, AI is going to replace people. Mm, and really, right. it's doing the things that people can't do in the time frame that they need to do it and providing them, yeah, mm -hmm. and providing yeah. them with the information in a manner that they can digest it and make decisions, educated decisions, which is so important. I, I love the way you explain that. That's great. Okay. Can you elaborate on why AI is not a significant change, but an incremental change in many parts of an organization? Because, you know, people think, oh, AI, it's such a big change. I'm, right. I'm coming right. in and now everything's going to be different. But like you said, AI has been around for a long time. That's so right. tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So there's, you know, I think when when, you know, there was a lot of hype and and, uh, you know, inflated expectations and a lot of funding of startups and venture, you know, money behind all these different uh, initiatives, there was a lot more hype and a lot more, you know, attention to these big bang projects, these moonshot projects, right? These things that were going to, you know, MD Anderson Cancer Center was using Watson to cure cancer, right? And that was a big Mm -hmm. top level headline that you know that I, uh, IBM put out in their commercials and MD Anderson put out and guess what it didn't work right because mm -hmm. it's too big and too complex a problem but guess what they also had a number of other smaller successes that were able to uh, contribute to the experience of patients and patient families so little things like being able to find the right resources and being able to schedule appointments more easily and really things that you think of as kind of routine, but they're problematic and there's still a lot of friction in those processes. And AI was able to help with that, right? So there are a lot of um, benefits and a lot of outputs, but it wasn't that big giant moonshot. And this is where organizations have learned their lessons, right? A, a colleague of mine at an insurance company said he didn't know of any uh, companies his size that have not wasted five to ten million dollars on failed AI initiatives. Mm -hmm. That was his perspective. He's like, everybody is throwing money at this, and many of them are failing. And the reason mm -hmm. why is because they did to try to do these things that were really, really big and really, you know, uh, uh, ambitious. And it's fine to have that kind of big picture objective, but you really need to think how do we get there and tactically how do we get there. So. 
what I was saying before about enabling processes it really can be incremental in a lot of mm -hmm. areas, right? We're adding a capability, we're improving a process, we're making it more efficient. You know, it's not necessarily that we're redesigning the entire organization end to end, but, you know, many digital transformations attempt to do that, right? They try to redesign uh, all of those processes so that they are completely digital and we remove unnecessary steps and we get rid of legacy systems and so on. But most of the time, they are a num there are many incremental process improvements that do add up to a larger transformation, but it takes time, right? It happens over a period of years because, you know, there's so much that needs to be put into place to make this work, including things like the right data and the right architecture, the right governance processes, you know, the right understanding of the technologies and the tools, the application of those tools. It does take time. And I think organizations are getting better at calibrating what they're trying to accomplish and being realistic about that. And a big mm -hmm. piece of this to me is measuring your results, right? Like how, what are your baselines and then how do you measure incremental improvements? But yes, it, it's adding up to big changes in organizations, but it's from a lot of smaller uh, improvements. Yeah, I think of it as, you know, everybody should think about it as crawl, walk, and then run. You know, it's not, it's not go and you right start running you have to yeah. make sure that you know your foundations first and right. um yeah incremental steps is the best way to do it so how do you invest smartly in ai technology to scale profits to 50 percent, 50 times and beyond yeah. well i would have a hard time saying you're, you're going to get a 50x uh return uh -huh. right i think uh -huh. that's a that's a pretty ambitious number and and if people are claiming that then you know i'd love to see the proof <laughs> right yeah it, so, it's going to take years before you can gonna, even get there yeah. yeah and you know think of it this way you're, you're talking about tools in a toolkit that are available to others right so you know you're you're at a competitive landscape that is shifting and and the bar is being raised for everybody so you know it's great when you're first to the table and you can do this effectively and you can you know, get uh, uh, much more um, value from your than your competition because you're ahead of the game. But mm -hmm. then sometimes you can be too far ahead of the game and you can uh, make investments that don't pan out because the organization isn't ready or the market isn't ready or whatever. But the point is that, again, it comes back to really being focused on what process you're trying to enable. And in a digital transformation that a lot of organizations are going through, there's lots of processes that they're enabling, right? They're trying to redesign many things. So you have to pick and choose your battles and say, where can automation help us? Where can mm -hmm. we improve the process? And I like to say, you can't automate a mess and you can't automate what you don't understand. Right. So the first part of this is understanding those processes and then understanding the capabilities of the tools and that how those tools can fit into your particular process. Many of uh, times, you know, AI vendors or you know, technology vendors will say, well, here's here's what it looks like and and here's what you can do. And it's based on you know their demo data or it's based on another client. That may not apply to you. You know, you have to think about your processes, your data, your infrastructure, and understand your customer needs not take this generic kind of, well, here's the process or here's how it's been so successful in, in these other organizations. It really is specific to your enterprise and to your needs of both internal employees and uh, external customers, right? Because 
a, a, uh, a an employee is your is your internal customer. Mm-hmm. So you have to think about it, and you can't have acts of heroics upstream and expect a seamless customer experience externally. So we really have to look at these information flows throughout the enterprise. And I like to say we speed up the information metabolism of the organization. We make it easier for everybody to get to that information they need, make the decisions more effectively and faster, and be able to get their output into somebody else's input faster and easier. You're removing friction from those processes. And so when you start looking at it holistically and you start looking at those architectures across that that information stack, that marketing stack, that customer experience stack, whatever, e-commerce, whatever it is, you can start to find those areas where you can remove a little bit of friction and you can remove a little bit of inefficiency and you can make it easier for all of the players. That's what you're trying to do with these initiatives. You're trying to look holistically and speed up those information flows internally and externally. And that is where organizations are going to start to see very significant returns. Uh, But a lot of them are still at the early stages of this. Mm -hmm. There's still Mm -hmm. a lot of aspirational functionality out there, right? People are trying to do this stuff. No, that's great. I mean, it's it's so smart the way you're you're presenting this because, you know, it is really important. Of course, they're going to invest, but then they're going to look for a return. But it's not tomorrow. It's going to take time. You're going to have to crawl, walk, run before you're going to get there. So that's great. And so let's move thing, on. Well, I was just going to add one more point. It sure. is that the other thing to think about is that. You may have this grand vision, right, of where you're going. You may have that North Star, which is important. Vision is high level and it's not necessarily detailed, right, because it's a vision. But then Mm -hmm. as you're building out the tactical execution plans, you have to have quick wins, right? You have to be able to show value as you go along that journey and not just wait for the end, right? (laughs) So that's a big thing that has to happen. And, And when you properly design these projects and these programs, you can build these, you know, 12, 18 month, 24 month roadmaps that will show incremental value along the way. So just something right. to keep in mind. Right. No, very, very true. And you, you're going to see incremental return, but slowly as you go through it, but you yep. will see some. So that's a good, really good point. Um, so let's move a little bit to the personal side. So mm. as you've been in business 25 years, what's mm. one thing you wish you had known when you began your career that you know mm. now? Mm. Just one thing. <laughs> one thing. I know there's one a billion, thing. right? I'm there um, too. I think I I I would have liked if I could have could go back and and help my younger self uh, in business. I think I would I would really try to impart the ability to trust my instincts, right, and to really look at other people. You know, I think one of the challenges I've had over the years is, you know, it's always a challenge to pick the right uh, leaders, right? And to bring in the right resources to help you grow the business. And, you know, I've many times I just felt like I did not have the knowledge or expertise because I never had any experience in this business. Mm-hmm. Like I, I came into this business without having ever worked for anybody else <laughs> or had any right. form of training. Right. My undergraduate was chemistry. I I had not worked for a consultancy. And so mm-hmm. many times I was looking to others to have the answer, to to bring the company to the next level. And I would ignore some of the signals that should have told me that, you know, this wasn't the right choice. And so I didn't trust my my gut. I didn't trust my yep. instincts. 
and I and I would really impress upon myself to trust my instincts and to really, you know, deconstruct what people are saying versus what they're doing and mm-hmm. to really look at them from a much more of a balanced perspective, you know, not just the logic and what and the words, but the actions and then the emotions, right? So it's really right. trying to to evaluate uh, those people from that perspective and, you know, not having, you know, having not ex- exercised that, um, that, that, that instinct to follow mm-hmm. my own gut mm-hmm. uh, has been costly, you know, and, and I certainly do it these days, uh, but for a long time I didn't. And because yeah. I was looking, looking to others for that expertise and, Really, they didn't have it. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, that feeling is so important when you're running yeah. a business. And yeah. I realized that also maybe later than I should have. But, yeah. uh, you know, you depend on data and you depend on, you know, just the conversations and you trust those things. And then in your gut, you know, something's not right, mm-hmm. but then you fight it, you know, and you yeah. say it's going right. to be OK because all these things add up and it doesn't. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. So that's great, great. And, and, um, and, and, and the critical piece here is there's a fine line to do something, to be different, to be a different business, to change your life, to change whatever. You have to get outside your comfort zone, uh-huh. right? To do something, to be different, you have to do things differently and you will not always be comfortable. However, right. there's a fine line between being outside your comfort zone and going against your gut. Yes. That's yes. The challenge. It's like, when is this like, oh, I'm uncomfortable versus, oh, this isn't going to work. Right. Right. And many times I confuse those. I was like, oh, I don't think this is going to work. Easy to confuse. Yeah. And Easy to like, confuse. Yeah. That line is very challenging. Right. Mm-hmm. No, great, great points. Yep. Um, so who are three people that have been very influential mm. to you throughout mm-hmm. your career? Maybe mentors, maybe mm-hmm. family, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, who are three people that come to mind yeah. that really set the foundation for you? Well, part of it is, you know, I, I maybe they, they weren't people that I interacted with, but they're people that I learned from. Um, mm-hmm. I, I got a lot of value over the years from reading a book that, um, you know, that I, I probably read every five years from the time I was a teenager. Um, I, I, I'm due for another reading, but it's uh, Victor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And mm-hmm. it's an incredible book. He was a, a concentration camp survivor, and he really studied what made people, um, uh, what motivated people and what got them through these horrendous experiences. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's always given me this kind of sense of no matter what you're going through, it's nothing compared to what other people have, have mm-hmm. suffered and gone through and that you can, you know, use your mind to kind of direct your yourself and your energies and to get through adversity. Right. Uh, so that was an important influence in my life. And another is a, um, a motivational uh, 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 speaker uh, who I, I used to listen to when I was uh, in my 20s and I I had um, projects in New Hampshire. I had these long drives and I would put cassette tapes into my uh <laughs> in my car that i've listened to and his name is brian tracy and oh, so brian. Uh, yep. yeah he was he was uh, popular many years ago decades mm-hmm. ago but uh just the ability to kind of retrain your brain and rethink things and you know to guide your 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 future by by your thoughts right but mm-hmm. you know everything is based on your thoughts everything is based right. on 
you know, your mental model and, and how you interact with the world is is filtered by all of those thoughts and your Whatever future you is only happens, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And your future is shaped by your thoughts, right? What mm -hmm. you think is going to become what you, you know, what is real, right? What do you, uh, what you put your mind to? So it was really interesting. And then the other person is a man named Ken Wax and he was a, <clears throat> he worked for Lotus and IBM or Lotus at the time. And he introduced me to Lotus Notes <laughs> that <laughs> uh, in training and, and, uh, uh, selling and you know he was doing content marketing before there was content marketing you know he'd mm -hmm. say you know take a take an article and put it in an envelope actually snail mail it to your prospect give them value send them something that's of interest to them then they'll be receptive to your call and that was literally <laughs> in you know 1992 or yeah, something like yeah, that in 1993 yeah. but uh, I worked with him for a period of time I learned a lot he introduced me to a lot of stuff he changed my signature <laughs> <laughs> Because it was uh, it was funny. I mean, if I look at how I wrote my signature, my name, it was uh, an S, a script S, and I kind of opened it up to a to a um, kind of a mixture of print and script. But it really did impact um, a lot of stuff. It's very interesting, something subtle like that. But it mm -hmm. was. But he really helped me, you know, reshape how I thought of myself and how I put myself um, forward in the world, and uh, you know, always be grateful for that. No, that's great. I mean, we all need mentors, role models, motivational speakers, all of those things mm -hmm. to get us through to learn more and continuously okay. learn so that we can grow. So that's great. So Seth, this has been such an honor to have you. Your insights you. and our conversations have been great. Um, I could talk to you for another two hours. <laughs> well, thank you for having um, me. But in closing, what, what advice would you give to a woman considering a career in tech? Yeah, I would say, you know, don't be afraid of <clears throat> trying it and don't be afraid of failure, you know, right. Um, you know, I, I like to say I failed my way to success. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I, That's great. Yeah. You know, it's it's always a matter of getting up and, and going to bat again. And it's always a matter of, you know, who says who says you fail, right? You, you don't right. fail until you stop. Right. right. You, you keep getting up and you have unlimited, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> ability to keep trying. And, you know, you, you, nobody, nobody can tell you you're not going to be able to do it unless you decide you're not going to do it, right? In other words, <clears throat> other people, don't worry about what other people say. You know, I always encourage people to, you know, realize their own value and to go toward what they believe in passionately about and to, you know, realize that they have a lot of capabilities. They have a lot of abilities that they simply need to tap into. And there's many resources out there. There's many places where you can learn. There's networks that can help you. Uh, but and and try volunteering, right? If you want to make a career change, uh, find, you know, something you care about and, you know, find an organization. Say you want an unpaid internship or mm -hmm. you want to do a pro bono project or you want to, you know, again, taking a course, there's a great um learning a, a place called the Center Center. <laughs> it's C-E-N-T-E-R-C-E-N-T-R-E -E 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 or something like that, Jared Spool. And it's all about user experience and usability and, and information architecture. But there's lots of, I'm sure you have courses that mm -hmm. can enable people. And But it's a matter of getting a little bit of that training and then going out and applying it and finding someone who has a need where you can you know, get that experience and go in and build a portfolio.
for yourself to to do that kind of work. And again, it it there's nothing holding you back from doing these types of things, right? If you think of any limitation or any obstacle, most of the time, those are artificial. Uh, those are things in your mind, right? That's head trash. And and there's nothing that is absolutely holding you back that you cannot overcome in one way, shape, or form. You know, I've reinvented myself a number of times over the years, mm -hmm. and you know, I've had to, and I've done things that I've never done before, right? That I right. and and you know, when people tell me, "Oh, we've never done that," I say, "Well, we never did anything." You know, when I started mm -hmm. this business without any experience and knowledge of the field, and you know have a, a company that has a really great reputation and is well known for this stuff. So anybody can achieve these objectives if they are clear about what they want to accomplish and they want to do the work. It's the work, right? It's It doesn't come for free. It doesn't come easy, but it yields, everything yields to persistence, right? Everything yeah. yields to persistence. Nah, that's great advice. Great, great advice. And, you know, you said it, don't be afraid. You said that in the beginning. Right. And I think women need to hear that. Don't be afraid. It's confidence that will take you to that next step and the next step. And if you, it's okay, keep going. Or, you know, because like you said, or, failure is success. Right. But is another opportunity for success. Or be afraid. You can be afraid, but do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let the fear stop yeah. you. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to fear failure. It's okay. Because it's new. Right. And, and, you know, you might fail, you maybe you won't fail, but you know, who cares? <laughs> right. No, cares? that's, that's such good advice. Who Great cares? advice. Nobody's going to care. So Seth, right? Can you share with our listeners oh. how they can get a hold of you? Oh, sure. You can uh, send me an email, Seth, S-E-T-H at early, E-A-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget the E before the Y dot com. Mm -hmm. Just my first name at last name dot com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. So uh, just do a search for Seth Early. And again, it's E-A-R-L-E-Y. And uh, happy to connect. Uh, you can check out our website, www.early.com, and uh, be happy to to chat with uh, with folks. Great. Well, thank you so much. This was such an honor and such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for being an ally, and thank you for all that you do every day. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.